so humbling and wonderful to see this many people have gathered this morning and that we're spending uh, Christmas, a little bit of Christmas together. So thanks for coming out. Um, as Mike said, my name's Chuck. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm excited to share with you from uh, the book of Matthew chapter one. So if you would turn with me there, that would be great. And if you don't have a Bible underneath the seat in front of you, there are uh, blue Bibles. You can pull one of those out. I'd encourage you to do so. And you can look on page 471, page 471. Uh, Mike mentioned that uh, this morning we're not having normal uh, activities for the young kids. So just want to say to parents, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine, okay? So you can slobber and cry and drool and your kids can too, all right? (laughs) Now, just quick show of hands, how many have already opened some presents today? All right, quite a few, all right. How many are in a sugar coma already today? <laughs> Pam has her hand up the biggest. What did you enjoy, Pam? Uh, my espresso. Your es- that doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. And you're supposed to be the coffee connoisseur. Don't fill it with sugar. Okay, only today. Awesome. Well, last night, uh, as many of you know, many of you were here last night, we looked at uh, really the second uh, unit of thought in Matthew chapter 1. And we considered what the, the significance of the name of Jesus is. And we wanted to, this weekend, talk about not only Jesus' name, Jesus, and what it means. His name means Yahweh saves. But we also wanted to consider his title, which is Christ. And so to do it that way, we had to do the easy passage last night and the harder passage this morning. But that works out really well. Because anybody who comes to church on Christmas, Christmas morning is serious about their Bibles. Right? Okay. So we're not messing around this morning. We're going to look at a genealogy. Yeah. So who's excited you came out? All right. Now, before we read it, uh, a a very, very brief introduction about about what this is we're going to be talking about. We're going to consider Jesus' title. Now, you might have thought Christ is his last name. Sorry to burst your bubble, but it's not. It's actually his title. Titles are powerful things. There's a reason people clamor for them. Titles bestow rights, power, authority, responsibility, honor. They authorize people to take particular responsibilities, and therein they invoke weight in our minds as we consider the different opportunities people have when they have certain titles. So consider a professor, coach, doctor, Queen, prosecutor, chairman, president. All of these titles come with opportunity and responsibility. Each and every one of those titles matter, but none of them matter like the title Christ. Christ is the most important title given to anyone, anywhere. And this morning we want to spend 30 minutes or so Considering together the significance of Jesus' title, that Jesus is Christ. 
Chilla Antony is going to read for us. She has volunteered, voluntold, I mean, to read this most wonderfully easy of passages to read. Good morning, Chilla. Thank you for reading. You're going to do great. Plus, is that 99-point font? <laughs> yes, because I have to be able to see. <laughs> great. Would you like to put it there? That helps. Okay. Well, if you can't see it, over across the street, they can. So we're good. Yes, it's perfect. <laughs> and correct me also. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17 the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon, the Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Nia, and his brothers at the time of the deportation of Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Yekoniah, the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Ahim, and Ahim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born who is called Christ. So all generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, Christ 14 generations. This is the word. Thank you. Okay. You did great. Thank you. Chilla, you crushed it. Outstanding job. Thank you. This is one of those passages for those of you who are Seinfeld 
fans, you get reading the first few verses and then you kind of say yada yada and jump to the end. Doesn't it feel like one of those? But in just a few minutes, I want us to try to consider this morning the significance of this passage. In particular, the significance of Jesus' title, that Jesus is uh, the Christ. Now, it's tempting to skip over it, but friends, this list of names matters. We might even say in some ways it's spiritual dynamite because this list demonstrates that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one the first two-thirds of our Bibles promised. And the last third demonstrate and point ahead to. Jesus is the Christ. Now, since this long genealogy contains key people and, key, and points to key moments in the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, it would be impossible in one sermon to go through every name and describe who they were and what book they're in and why they matter. And so there's just no way we can exhaust it. So you can take a deep breath. I will not do that to you. However, I want instead for us to relate its overall message to each other. And in particular, I'd love to speak with three groups of people. If you don't fall in one of these three, then you have permission to take a nap. No, if you don't fall into one of these three, would you consider who you know that does and pray for them? And would you consider how you might be better equipped to be good friends to them? And would you get prepared because at some point in the future, you might fall into one of these three groups of people? The three I'd love to speak to about this genealogy are first to the, to the undecided, meaning those who aren't sure about Jesus. Maybe you are here this morning because some uh, friend or family member guilted you into coming. Well, thank you for being here. A low motive is better than no motive. <laughs> and so I'd love to speak for a few minutes to you about how this passage might help you consider and get to know Jesus better. Second, I'd love to speak very briefly to the bored Christian. Yes, there are those, and this passage can help us. And finally, I'd love to speak to the defeated Christian. So first, to the undecided. Uh, if you're here this morning and you don't consider yourself a Christian, thank you for coming. Let's think about why this passage might be helpful in persuading you to make a decision about Jesus. Friend, Christianity is different from other religions. Christianity is not merely a system of ethics or a set of moral ideals. Instead, Christianity is history. History rooted in a person named Jesus and in particular claims about him. If those claims are true, then that means you ought to trust Jesus. If those claims are not true, then all of us should have stayed at home, sitting around the tree and enjoying 
the gifts and food and family and friends that we have. We might put it this way. Did Caesar Augustus rule as the emperor of Rome? That's a question of history. None of us were there. None of us can prove it in the sense of scientifically verifying it. We have to trust that what's written by people who were there are telling the truth. That's the only way we can know any history. What about Jesus? Did Jesus live? Did Jesus die? Did Jesus rise again? Those two are historical questions. None of us were there. All of us have to rely on what other people tell us who were there. Each of us must weigh the evidence for ourselves. Nobody else can do it for us. Christianity's message is meaningless if Jesus isn't who the Bible says he is. As you consider whether or not you would become one who would believe in Jesus, I want to encourage you, don't start with questions like this. How does Christianity make me feel? Am I comfortable with everything in the Bible? Does Christianity seem right for me? Now, those questions aren't the right questions. The question is, is it true? Did it happen? You can sort out the rest of those things later. That is the only question that matters. Is it true? This particular passage claims that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the King, the one that everyone everywhere should bend the knee to and obey. That's what Matthew's telling us. He's telling us that's true about one person, namely Jesus the Christ. He's the one sent by God to bring people back into right relationship with him and where they can become citizens of his kingdom. And so the question we must wrestle with is, is that true? Now, Matthew was a contemporary of Jesus. He would know better than any of us could because he was there. We trust today in the court the testimony of eyewitnesses because they were there. The same should be true when we come to the Bible. Look with me at verse 1. And notice there's two little important phrases. First, the son of David. And second, the son of Abraham. Those are the two key names, besides Jesus, in the whole genealogy. The son of David and the son of Abraham. Matthew's telling us from those two names that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the King, the Christ. Jesus is the one who can make us right with God because he is the promised descendant of Abraham and he's the promised descendant of David. Now, if you don't have a Bible, then maybe you want to grab a pen and write down these two passages above those two names. I won't read them this morning just to save time, but maybe you could go back to them later and read them. First, above that son of Abraham, you can write Genesis 12, Genesis 12, 
verses 1 through 3. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, above the son of Abraham. That's a passage in which God told a man named Abraham, I am going to bless you in tremendous ways. And from you, I'm going to develop a people group. And then through that people group, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Guess what? That passage was ultimately a promise that through a descendant of Abraham, namely Jesus, the whole world would be blessed. And guess what? That's why we're sitting here today. Because that passage is playing itself out to be truthful. Jesus is the descendant of Abraham. He is the one through whom all people who follow Jesus will be blessed. Now, both the teachings of the Bible and our experiences in life demonstrate the need to be blessed by God. Both what the scriptures tell us and our own experiences show us we have need of God's help. As we were singing this morning, my family and I over here on the side and I looked around the room, I felt a particular heaviness as I thought about many of the things many of you have been through in the last year or two. And the heroic nature it takes in several of you to stand and sing to God. Friend, you are people who are going through hard things, yet are blessed by God. And friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ, then you are currently, we're getting help from the passage. If you are not currently a follower of Jesus Christ, then friend, mainly what you're receiving from God is not, spiritually speaking, his blessings, but rather his discipline. And that's because all of us are sinners. But that discipline can be exchanged for nothing but love and mercy and blessing if you would trust Jesus. Now, what about that other name, that name, Son of David? Well, another passage you could write down is 2 Samuel chapter 7. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God spoke to another person, King David, the most famous king in the Old Testament. And he told David essentially this, you're not going to sit on your throne forever. But through your descendants is going to become a king who will sit on the throne forever. And that one is Jesus. The king that will rule eternally is not David. It's not Biden. It's not Trump. It's not whoever else we can't even think of. It's Jesus. That's what this whole genealogy is in there to tell us. Jesus is the descendant of Abraham, Jesus is the descendant of David, and therefore Jesus is the Christ. These two promises to Abraham and to David form two great streams of God's guarantees in the Old Testament. And friend, everything good that you want 
that's truthful and good for you and would bless not only you but others is available to you in Jesus Christ. But you must come to him as Christ, as king. We'd love to tell you more about that. Perhaps you could stick around and visit with somebody afterwards and they could tell you more about how to come to know Jesus as Christ. Jesus, you see, is the legal heir to the throne of David. And Jesus is the legal heir to the covenant, the promise made to Abraham. What does all that mean? Well, it means you don't need to remain undecided about Jesus. The verdict is in. He is the Christ. He is the king. He's all that you need. Now to that second group of people, namely the bored Christian. Beloved, would you consider the meaning of this genealogy? This genealogy says that Jesus is the promised king and that he is the true savior for all peoples. And so if you're bored with Jesus, would you just consider this list of names again? Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah. Now who's getting nervous that I'm going to read it all again? Friends, where do these names lead? They lead to Jesus, the one who has saved you from your sin. Have you forgotten? God became a man. God left heaven to become a man. God, the creator, the sustainer, the one who's perfect, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, timeless God, stooped because he loves you, because he loves us. Wow. Jesus did that. God loved his creation, his broken, rebellious creation enough to literally enter into it, that we could know him. Christmas is our annual reminder that God gave up the groanings, the glories of heaven for the groanings of earth. He did so, so that he could become our king. So in light of that fact, if you're bored with Jesus today, simply remind yourself who he is and what he's done for you. We are recipients of the most gracious act ever committed. And we've been united to the king who holds all resources in his hand and promises to leverage them at his disposal in the right time, in the right way, for us to the right ends. That's our king. We can trust him even when at times we feel bored with him. If you're bored with Jesus, remember afresh, he is the Christ. He is your Christ. Now finally, to the defeated Christian. What do I mean? Well, defeated Christians are those who feel stuck, discouraged, beaten down, downtrodden. Very often, we are the people who have tried hard 
to be good Christians, and yet it hasn't worked out the way we thought it would. Brothers and sisters, if that's you this morning, there is good news for you. This history that we read, that Chilla read to us, this history is a history of grace. The list of names here is not the chosen few who got it right, who followed God to perfection and therefore they made it into the story. As much as we try to relate to God that way, that's not how God works. We don't get onto the, his honor roll list because we got good grades. We get on the list because he put us on the list. Abraham, would you consider just, just a few of the rotten men in the story? Abraham lied to foreign rulers about his wife. She apparently was very attractive. And he was afraid, if they think I am her husband, they will kill me so they can have her. And so instead, he lied and said he was her brother. Not only once, but twice. And yet there he is in the list. Or how about Judah? Judah was the jealous brother who concocted the plan to sell his brother Joseph into slavery because he got more attention from daddy. Daddy issues are not a modern thing. This has been around a long, long time. How about David? Well, David was a lustful man. He already had more women than he could ever need or keep up with. And yet he committed adultery and ordered murder as a cover-up. He's there too. Most of the kings listed after him in the genealogy were idol worshipers. Now, ladies, you don't get off the hook either. Not only were the men here not models of superior obedience to God, the women weren't either. There are four women listed in addition to Mary, the mother of Jesus, listed in the genealogy. There is no exceptionally godly Old Testament Jewish matriarch. Not one. I'm not saying they didn't exist. They did. But that's not who's in the list. The ones in the list are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Do you know about them? Tamar was a Canaanite who dressed up like a prostitute to trick a relative into having sex with her. Rahab was a Canaanite who didn't merely dress up like a prostitute. She was a prostitute. Ruth was a childless Moabite widow who propositioned herself to Boaz. And Bathsheba well, ask your mom and dad about that one. <laughs> and yet all of these people are in the genealogy leading up to Jesus Christ. My point is, friend, if you are defeated because you feel like your Christianity isn't working for you, 
than just read this list of names. Because you don't get into a good, solid, faithful, steady, lovely relationship with God by what you do. And you don't stay in by what you do. If there's ever a place in the Bible that proves that, it's this list of names. This list of names leading to Jesus. God chose sovereignly to work through these people. And as often as you struggle to have warm feelings and affections for God and to obey for the right reasons, God chose you too. And God will keep you and is working through you for his glory. God has always been for the lowly, for the anxious, for the outsider, for the weak, for the broken, for the failure, for the hot mess. And this list proves it. If you're discouraged this morning by your lack of following God perfectly, if your prayers feel like they're just bouncing off the ceiling and coming back down, the only thing I can tell you is don't yada yada this list. Read it. Read it and rejoice, for it is the proof that Jesus is the Christ, and he's the Christ who bestows grace. Grace for all who call on him. That's all that's required. Remember, if God can use these kinds of people, he can certainly use us. Church, this genealogy demonstrates Jesus' rightful claim to his title, Christ. He's the anointed one, the Messiah, the King. And the great news this Christmas is that he will remain so forevermore. Amen? Will you stand with me and let's pray. Before I voice a prayer for us, would you take a moment and thank this Jesus, for being your Christ. Father, we thank you this morning for the tremendous privilege of being together. Being together on a day in which we're especially remembering that Jesus came to save his people from their sin. We thank you that you have done that for us. And we thank you that Jesus is the Christ. I pray this morning for those who are undecided about Jesus that you would speak to them through your word and that they would become convinced and experience the wonder 
of your love and forgiveness. I pray for those who this morning are defeated, that they would be lifted up, that fresh wind of mercy would blow in their sails. I pray for those who are discouraged, downtrodden, that your grace and your love would be experienced afresh and anew today. And I pray for every other person in every other kind of situation that I don't know to name, but that you can minister to. In your mercy, would you do so? I pray for the rest of this day that it would be filled with laughter, with joy, with celebrating, with good naps, with good food, and most of all, with unceasing prayers of praise. For Jesus is the Christ. And all his people said, amen.